This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, coming up, uh, Joe Biden's polling and voter support continue to crater. Uh, you'll be surprised at what groups are actually dropping, though. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Jill Biden has COVID again. I assume Joe is back in the basement hiding. That's all we can think of at this point. Uh, Drew Holden is going to be on the program. He's going to bring the receipts on the media's hypocrisy when it comes to Ron DeSantis and Maui and a bunch of other stuff. We're going to start by doing Biden's budget explosion in 60 seconds. Uh, But first, let me tell you about ladder insurance. You've probably seen life insurance commercials on TV and thought, ah, I'll look into that later. Uh, Life insurance, that can wait. Well, there are some things you can't really wait on, and life insurance is one of them. Ladder is 100% digital. There's no doctors. There's no needles. There's no paperwork. When you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, you're cool. And if you just answer a few questions about your health and in an application, that's all you need to do. Uh, Ladder's customers love Ladder, 4.8 out of 5 on Trustpilot. They made Forbes' best life insurance 2021 list. All you got to do is take a few minutes and a phone or laptop to apply. Ladder smart algorithms will work in real time, so you'll find out if you're instantly approved. No hidden fees. You can cancel any time. You get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. They make this really easy. And Ladder's policies are, ins- are issued by insurers with long proven histories of play- uh, paying claims. They're all rated A and A+. Plus by AM Best. So go to ladderlife.com slash stew today. See if you're instantly approved. It's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash stew. Ladderlife.com slash stew. Stew does America. Ah, yes. You know, the homeless problem in this country is really getting out of control. You know, how far have we fallen in this nation when the president of the United States doesn't even have a home? It's true. I have no home to go to, is the headline. Bizarre moment Biden insists his stay at the beach house is not a vacation because the Secret Service is doing upgrades to his other Delaware house. Which is a great way to think about it. If your house is being made incredibly beautiful and you can't live there, you're quote unquote homeless. So that's where we are right now. And if you wanted to see a picture of Joe Biden laying out on the beach, I've got one for you. Check it out. Uh, This is just absolutely beautiful. And that is basically the state of his presidency. Passed out in a beach chair with his legs in the sun, probably getting nice and crisp while he lays out there doing absolutely nothing about all the problems that we are facing today. And it is sort of a problem. I will say it's not entirely true to paint the Biden presidency as an active snooze fest. He's done he's been awake for lots and lots of things, mostly things that harm our country. And that also he's awake and available to lie to you about the same thing over and over and over and over again. An example from Philadelphia this weekend. Name with what we've done, unlike the last president in my first two years, all this stuff. Guess what? I cut the deficit $1.7 trillion. <laughs> and the guy in the back's like, oh, God, is he doing this one again? Yeah, $1.7 trillion of deficit cutting. That's what he wants you to believe. And I will say one of the bizarre blessings of the past six months has been this idea 
where Joe Biden has decided to go out and make Bidenomics a thing. He wants you, he wants the American voters, the American public to believe this economy is on him. It's his responsibility. It's his doing. These are his policies in action. And I do think that's probably going to be really, really positive for the Republican Party here in the coming months. We have some uh, indication that that is happening. The U.S. deficit explodes even as economy grows. And that's not something you'd normally see. The Washington Post, by the way, pointing this out, and it's not coming from, you know, some conservative think tank, a massively important detail here as there's a long piece from The Washington Post talking about uh, how record spending in uh, 2020 and 2021 came and went because of COVID. We all kind of knew what was going on there, right? We all sort of looked at that and many of us complained about that spending. I'll I'll never forget me doing a show. I, I was like April 7th or something of 2020 being like, hey guys, are we spending too much on this already? Like what's gonna happen next? Imagine the naivete I had at that point, not knowing that trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars were right around the corner. I was already bitching about it back then, but this is something that has been going on for a while. We all understood that the COVID thing came and went and we spent a lot of money and we knew we spent a lot of money. But the point of that was it was a time of stress. Whether you agreed with that spending or not, it was a time of stress for the country. We spent a lot of money to get us through that period, and then it was supposed to go away. We were supposed to go back to normal times. And that, of course, is what Biden is referring to when he says, oh, we cut that $1.7 trillion. Obviously, it's asinine, right? It's like, how many times did you go to the gym? Well, it's way up from April 2020 when all the gyms were closed. Well, yeah, sure, I'm sure it's up from that. But are are you going to the gym a lot, or is it once a month? Because that makes a difference. And that's what Biden is doing here. Everyone knew these deficit numbers were going to come down dramatically, including, by the way, the Congressional Budget Office, which modeled this and showed the deficits coming down even more than they actually did because Biden wound up coming in and passing all sorts of new spending. Now, let me show you some of the details on this. And it's, you know, look, I will be honest with you, not top of the news on, on most of the shows out there, even on the conservative side, because, look, there are a million other really important things to worry about. And I know that's true. I'm not uh, saying that we shouldn't be talking about those things. In fact, I'm sure we'll spend much of the week talking about many of the same things that other shows are talking about today. But honestly, I feel like this one gets lost, largely because there's not really a lot of people out there championing the, the boring budget issues anymore. It's, it's not sexy time. If you go back to, excuse me, if you go back to, um, you know, the the Tea Party days, we talked about this stuff all the time. And it's sort of fallen out of uh, favor, largely, you know, for other culture war type issues, which remain important. But I don't think we should totally forget about this. I'm disappointed that there's not a lot of discussion about this from the actual candidates running for president. Maybe a couple of them, but not many. So let me show you what this looks like on, uh, uh, you know, on the screen and in uh, in boring bar charts, because that's what we do on the show. Uh, here we go. You see 2017, 2018, 2019, a slight rise up to about $1 trillion in deficit, which I, by the way, complained about that entire period. <laughs> and so did you probably. But then you see the massive rise to $3.1 trillion in 2020 and a slight drop to $2.8 trillion in 2021. That's all the COVID spending. And here is where Biden jumps in and says, well, we cut it $1.7 trillion. It, he didn't cut it $1.7 trillion, but it did go down $1.7 trillion. As I pointed out, that's because a lot of the COVID spending went away. It's, it's important to note that Biden was arguing it for it to continue. 
He was saying Republicans were evil and were going to destroy the country because they wanted that spending to end. So that's an important detail to his cut of $1.7 trillion. It's also important to note that the CBO said it was going to be go down by even more than that, under a, a trillion dollars. Uh, Biden, of course, spent more money and decided to pass a bunch of new spending to make it go up. But this is where it really gets concerning. The increase to a 2023 projected deficit of $2 trillion. That is doubling the spending. Is there another pandemic we don't know about? Is it uh, all Ukraine spending? What is it? Why are we going up by that much? Important to understand. Here is the, uh, if you look at it uh, sort of in a a year by year from 2017 to 2023, and this is the deficit as it relates to the share of the nation's economy. So you take out all of Biden's inflation, which has happened, the Biden inflation since uh, he took office. But you see, if you kind of draw a straight line from before COVID and after COVID, there's an increase there. That is significant. It has gone up significantly since 2017, 2018, even 2019. We're now going up to 8% of the nation's economy. Now, that is lower than, of course, the COVID time, but everyone knew it was going to be lower. The shocking part is how much it's rising now when it comes from 2022 to 2023. And if you look at interest payments, this is just the debt. What are you paying on previous debt and the interest? Well, we know the interest rates have gone up. How has that affected us? Well, you could see here a massive rise in just the past year. Now, it's not as high as the Reagan years as, you know, interest rates were hitting 18 and 20 percent at the late Carter into early Reagan years before it turned around uh, later on. But the fact that we're paying rates that are close to that is shocking. And that's going to make all of our previous decisions look much, much worse. If you want to look at what this really means, the guy to go to for this is Brian Riedel. He knows this stuff better than anyone. He's been on the show a bunch of times to explain it to us. Let me take you through some of his analysis of this because it's important to understand. Talks about the explosive piece in the Washington Post showing that the budget deficit is set to double to $2 trillion this year. This is important because Brian knows this stuff better than anybody. This is basically unprecedented in U.S. history during relative peace and prosperity. This year's 7.6% of GDP budget deficit has been exceeded only during the depths of World War II, the Great Recession, and the pandemic. Deficits didn't even hit these heights during the Great Depression, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, or Reagan's defense buildup. Deficits are supposed to rise during war and recessions and then fall during peace and prosperity. A $1 trillion jump in a single year with no war or recession has long been considered Nearly impossible. By the way, this is an important detail that you might not hear if anyone actually hears anything about the story. These figures exclude the student loan bailout that was never implemented. Now, they're trying to re-implement that in a different way now. So all of this does not include the billions and hundreds of billions of dollars going to be spent, supposedly, on the student loan bailout. Unless, again, it is ruled unconstitutional, which, of course, it should be. What happened was falling revenues as inflation came back down, a massive spending spree by President Biden and Congress, and soaring interest rates that doubled Washington's net interest costs in just two years. A lot of times we talk about these policies and what they will mean to our nation. What kind of costs will they put on you and your grandchildren? What we don't often talk about, at least uh, I don't hear a lot of people talking about it, we do discuss it pretty often, You know, it's not exactly ratings magic either, but the interest cost, these are decisions, debt that we spent years and years and years and years and years ago. 
But just like you, if you took out a mortgage and it was on an adjustable rate, that would be a problem. These rates are going higher and higher and higher. It's the cost of the interest that we already have to pay back over and over and over again. It's not even attempting to pay down the debt. We're just trying to pay off the interest, the interest only mortgage we've taken out on all these past giant, giant programs. Uh, really, this bill is coming from past decisions, massive Social Security and Medicare costs for retiring baby boomers and continued fiscal, fiscal expansions uh, by politicians who believed that government borrowing was free because interest rates would keep them falling forever. They were so, so wrong. And he's right about that. In fact, he brought up on this program while interest rates were still low, that if we can just lock in this debt to today's interest rates, we will save a fortune going forward if these rates ever go up. Those rates did go up. We didn't listen to Brian Riedel. And now we are facing the consequences of trillions and trillions of dollars down the road that can get very ugly. What's really frustrating about this is not just that Biden did it and also some of the predecessors as well. Biden's made it much, much worse, but it's not uh, just Biden's blame here. But the fact that he continues to keep lying about it. I played you that clip before where I uh, basically fact-checked his $1.7 trillion claim that it had gone down by that much and what that actually meant. But it's not just me doing this. In fact, it's not just today. He's been making this claim for months and months and months and months, over and over and over again, in public. And he's been fact-checked over and over and over again by not just the right, by everybody, including CNN. Fact-checked, Biden tells three false personal anecdotes in an economic speech. We went over these personal anecdotes, which in and of themselves are bizarre, to be honest with you. The stories about his personal life that he's just making up, okay? And he keeps saying them over and over and over again. Places like even CNN fact check them and say, these are, can't possibly be true. He just keeps saying them. No one keeps, seems to be telling him to stop, which is fascinating. But the budget one is particularly important here uh, in that economic speech that he made there and again in Philadelphia this weekend. And he will continue to make tomorrow, I'm sure, as well. Biden claimed, unlike the last president, my first two years in office, even with all we've done, I'm the first to cut the, the federal de debt by one trillion seven hundred billion. This is what CNN says. This is false. As the White House implicitly acknowledged in the official transcript by striking through the word debt and replacing it with deficit. As CNN noted in February, when Biden made a near identical claim, Biden has not reduced the national debt, which is the accumulation of federal borrowing plus interest owed. In fact, the national debt has increased from about $27.8 trillion on Biden's first day to $32.7 trillion today. Though it's important to note that those debt increases are not solely the fault of any current president, which we just noted. It is the federal deficit, the one-year difference between spending and revenues, that declined by roughly $1.7 trillion between fiscal 2020 and 2021. And the debt versus deficit mix-up is not the only issue with Biden's claim. Because, look, debt and deficit, a lot of people use those interchangeably. You can't. They mean two different things. But, you, you know, I'm not that worried about, honestly, that mistake when it comes to uh, Biden. He's made much worse. As CNN has repeatedly noted, this again, CNN talking, it is highly questionable how much credit Biden deserves for the $1.7 trillion decline in the deficit, since the decline happened overwhelmingly because of emergency pandemic spending from the end of President Trump's administration expired as planned. In fact, independent analysts say Biden's own new laws and executive actions have significantly added to current and projected future deficits, not reduced those deficits. This is an unmitigated lie. 
He's just lying to everyone and expecting people to buy it. And shockingly, of course, it does happen with lunatics uh, on you know left-leaning Twitter. But I can't imagine people are actually buying this if they put any amount of thought into it. The fact that CNN even feels the need to not only fact-check it once, but repeatedly is really telling you something. But I think there's more to get to here as to what this actually means and how much we should be focusing on it. As Brian points out, the U.S. has behaved like a short-sighted subprime borrower, borrower using low interest rates to make massive new borrowing commitments, except the debt commitments were forever, but the interest rates were short-term adjustable rates. Anyone should have seen this coming. Anyway, the deficit is heading to $2 trillion, and it's set to exceed $3 trillion within the decade due to Social Security and Medicare. But if interest rates rise, the TJ, uh, TCJA, which is the, the Trump tax cuts, if they are extended, which that like largely will be, certainly for the middle class, which is the most expensive, quote-unquote, part of that, and Congress keeps spending, will approach $4 trillion in annual deficits. This is not sustainable. Politicians and candidates can focus on the culture war, Trump, and pandering to voters with more spending, tax cuts, and no changes to senior benefits. But the party's over, folks. The math and the bond market will make it so, even if the politicians will be the last to know. Again, that's Brian Riedel's analysis. You should follow him on Twitter because he's like the only person who ever talks about this stuff. But I will say it's vitally important. And I will also say that we've got, you know, eight candidates on, on stage at this last debate. We have uh, President Donald Trump, who was not on stage, but obviously is the front runner. And there's very little talk about this anymore. We've become a party that doesn't seem to really even decide to push back against this. For a long time, we had this dynamic where the right would say we need to spend less, we need to balance the budget, we need to cut spending, we need to stop doing all these crazy things. And the left would say we need to do more of these crazy things, we need to do more spending, we need to spend our way out of this. And there was that dynamic that even though when Republicans got in control and they didn't do all that much to address those problems, at the very least, there was somebody speaking out about it and stopping the left from doing the, their worst instincts. That dynamic has changed, where the right doesn't even talk about this stuff anymore, particularly when they're in power. They just make it worse. And that did happen under the previous president. He did not prioritize spending as a concern. It was not something he talked about all the time. He talked about a lot of important things, didn't talk about that much. The right has basically abandoned this issue, and I think it's terrible for the country. At some point... We've been saying this forever. You know, at some point, this becomes unsustainable. We just got a preview of what this looks like. What do you think paying 12, 13, 15 percent more for your groceries was? What do you think, uh, you know, these interest rates soaring and uh, spending going out of control, leading to all the things that conservatives warned about forever? And I don't think we're back out of that uh, trouble. Do you? Do you think we've solved that just because interest rates have come down a little bit from their all-time highs? Because gas isn't $5 a gallon, it's only $4.20? This is all related. And we keep going down this road with no, no way to believe we're going to stop. This train keeps going down the tracks. It's got no brakes. We keep accelerating. And the only thing at the end of the wall, at the end of the train tracks, is a cliff. Like in Back to the Future Two, three, whatever, three. I think it was three. You know, they're going, they're going up and they just, the, the train just goes off the tracks into a big gulch. That's what we have in front of us. And we better do something to stop it. At the very least, we should get our presidential candidates to begin once again speaking out about it. Let me tell you a little bit about Moink. Now that is Moo plus Oink. 
I always wondered how they came up with that name. Moink, moo plus oink. Hmm. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. Uh, you choose the meat delivered in every box. Like, you know, if you don't like one of these, you can just not get it in your box. Like, if you want ribeyes, you want chicken breasts, you want pork chops, salmon fillets, whatever you want, you can cancel anytime. The Moink difference is a difference that you can taste, and you can feel good knowing that you're helping family farms stay financially independent as well. Keep American farming going by signing up right now at moinkbox.com stew. Right now, listeners to the show get a free uh, year of ground beef. A year of ground beef, that's a lot. If you're cooking out, if you got the barbecue, this is going to be a very good development for you and your family. It's one year of the best ground beef you'll ever taste, but for a limited time, M-O-I-N-K, moinkbox.com, M-O-I-N-K-B-O-X.com slash stew, moinkbox.com slash stew. It's moinkbox.com slash stew. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I am truly happy to welcome back Drew Holden to the program. He is a staff writer for the Washington Free Beacon. Be sure to check out his Drew's Receipts column uh, there, as well as all of his work on Twitter, at Drew Holden 360 Drew, how's it going? Stu, it's going great. I'm, I couldn't be happier to be back with you. Yeah, I, I, if you wouldn't mind for a second, you had a real health sure. scare there, and I know a lot of people were concerned. Can you tell everyone how you're doing? Yeah, so I'm, I'm doing great now. For folks who don't know, I, I actually was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, and so I went through some uh, pretty intensive treatment. I had chemotherapy, radiation, uh, but I'm tumor free now. Uh, the, there's no evidence of tumor on any of my scans. I'm three months free from the treatment uh, and I'm, I'm up. I'm walking around. I mean, I'm, I, I went on a couple runs. They're short. They're slow, but uh, I'm back in the office at work. So I'm, I, I'm feeling much, much better now than, uh, than I was to. Uh, prayers answered, Drew. That's so great That's, to hear. Yeah, and I can't I can't thank folks enough for the prayers, right? I know I, I got it a lot on Twitter. I had a great support system around me. The free beacon was fantastic during my time out. I mean, I had I had been here for I think six weeks, uh, and then I, I had to go out and was was on the shelf for about a year. But uh, and I, I had fantastic medical care. I can't thank my doctors enough either. Uh, well, we're really really happy to hear that news. It's it's great, and we're, we're really happy to have you you back. And we certainly missed you and. You know, you've been looking at the media, as you always do, and, and looking at the, the hypocrisy, <laughs> and it feels uh, sort of silly as, a, as opposed to what you've gone through here. But I do want to sure. dig into what we're looking at here in the world right now, which yeah, is absolutely. the media has not gotten better uh, in, the, <laughs> no. in the past few months, and no. it's as bad as it's ever been. Um, and yeah. you pointed out a really interesting comparison here, which I had not thought of which is what is going on with Ron DeSantis and the way the media is treating him, especially when he surrounds these shootings, and what went on with Sarah Palin back when she was running for the VP uh, role back in the day, it was mm-hmm. his 2008 campaign. Can you kind of walk people through this? I thought it was a fascinating comparison. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So um, for folks who may not be aware, there was a shooting, uh, a racist shooting in Jacksonville that took place about a week ago. Uh, and rather than the press trying to dive in and figure out what happened, right, who was harmed, how is the community recovering, uh, they decided to instantly blame Ron DeSantis because they really don't like the way that he teaches black history. There's been this big, big fight 
throughout the press. And so as soon as it happened, the media was jumping the line to say, well, look, look what DeSantis did. In the lead for the story for the Associated Press, they said that DeSantis months ago had scoffed when people had criticized his black his AP Black History course, and so and all of a sudden this happens. How could he be surprised? And it's it, Stu, I think it's unbelievable. Before truly, before the vigil has even happened for the victims, the press is out here saying, "Well, since since we don't like the way that Ron DeSantis talks about things like critical race theory, it means that somehow he motivated a shooter who had no connection to DeSantis, no connection to the DeSantis campaign whatsoever. It was this angry, embittered racist who took up a gun. And the media, it was the, one of the most incredible things, I think, to me was there was a guest on MSNBC after it had happened who came out and said that even DeSantis calling this guy a scumbag and, and talking about this evil specter of racism, it was still racist. Because by calling him a scumbag, we're not focusing enough on the white supremacy that's driving these sorts of things. And you're right to your earlier point, too. We saw this in 2011 with Sarah Palin, right? When when former representative Gabby Giffords was shot in 2011, the media said, well, you know, Sarah Palin during the campaign had put uh, had had put gun sights on all of these Democrats. And then you've got a deranged person who goes out and takes a shot at one of them. And somehow it's her fault. I mean, it's the, the causality, Stu, is ridiculous. Yeah, and it's it's so one-sided, right? Like, there was a racist shooting that happened in mm-hmm. Buffalo not, not that long ago. And mm-hmm. it was a much bigger shooting. It was, you know, more uh, bodies were unfortunately found in the scene. And yet there's yeah. no one who went to Kathy Hochul was like, hey, what'd you have to do with this? No, yeah, what do we got going on in New York? Yeah, no attempt right? to tie that. Yeah, and, and there never is, right? It goes back to, I think, the first real memory I have of this phenomenon on the other side was the congressional baseball shooting, mm-hmm. right? Back back when, when Steve Scalise was shot and almost killed, there were a number of other people who were shot by a shooter. And, and this, uh, I think the press had maybe spent about 30 seconds on this and in the, in the entirety of the coverage of the event, a shooter who was a former volunteer on Bernie Sanders's campaign who had said that he wanted to go out and kill Republicans, right? And But these sorts of, for some reason, those connections, those links, they never make it into the media coverage. And it certainly isn't the w- entire way that the media frames the whole story of the event, the way the Jacksonville story has been. Yeah, really, really fascinating. And another um, uh, part of this, uh, another uh, media uh, kerfuffle over the past couple of weeks was this Mitch McConnell incident. And mm-hmm. look, you know, I, I was very consistent on this. Uh, look, it, it, it's, there's, there's something wrong here, right? Like we can't yeah, have absolutely. this happening. I don't care if it's a Republican. Look, Mitch McConnell has done some good things. He's very responsible in many ways for what's gone on in the Supreme Court and those positive changes mm-hmm. over the past few years. He's got, yeah. you know, I, not everybody loves him and I understand that. But like, the bottom line is this is crazy. The fact that we have people mm-hmm. in the middle of speeches freezing for 30 minutes or 30 seconds, it felt like 30 minutes, right. should lead to him stepping down immediately. He should certainly mm-hmm. not be in leadership and, and not be in the Senate at all, in my view. Um, yeah. But like the difference between that and what we saw with uh, John Fetterman is stark as well. That's right. With the McConnell situation, you're right. It's deeply troubling. And the media treated it as deeply, deeply troubling over and over again. In every single piece, they're talking about McConnell's health situation and what it means and why he should step down. 
when Fetterman came back to the Senate right after he was he was in the hospital for a couple of months and after the stroke that he had had, the man, I mean, I, I hope his his health comes out OK on the other side, but the man couldn't string a sentence together. Right. He couldn't even come close to stringing a sentence together. And yet, rather than even touch on those sorts of issues, he had a front a front cover Time magazine piece about him and his journey. That was the focus. It wasn't even just something that they pushed, they, the media had pushed to the background of the thinking on these sorts of things. He was a hero for even going through it in the first place. The fact that he wasn't serving any of his constituents in Pennsylvania obviously didn't, didn't make any of the coverage. Yeah. And they would, they blamed it on, if I remember right, ableism, right? Like they were saying, that's right. The, the criticisms of this were just people who didn't like disabled people. And they were, mm-hmm. I mean, and like that is, it's not that at all. Of course, no. like uh, everyone wants people's people to have uh, healthy times and be able to do, you know, to achieve everything they want to achieve. But when they can't, they can't do the job anymore. Like in this, in this important of a role that someone has to say something. That's that's right. The ableism defense was, was really rich. There was a guest um, who came on NB- NBC to talk about it. And, you know, I think the one of the things that really sticks with me is there was an MSNBC piece during the during Fetterman's kind of getting back into the Senate that uh, was titled disabled people are entitled to or deserve everything including a Senate or including members of Congress, right? It was it just so <laughs> unbelievable. And like, it's, it's anything to be able to lionize the good guys for the press. And that's what you see happening here. And so when, when McConnell had his health issues, it was just a great opportunity for the knives to come out because the knives are always waiting to come out for Republicans. Yeah. And what's fr- frustrating about this, Drew, is like, it's not that the media is incapable of getting things right. I would argue right. that their coverage of the McConnell thing is basically right. Like it should yep. be treated like it's a major yes. issue. The 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 way they covered, um, you know, when it came to the governor Kathy Hochul, not blaming her for that shooting is right. Like that's the way that should have been handled. Right. But they only right. apply this standard when they feel like it, and that's. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, I know the hypocrisy thing is beat to death, but man, it's so prevalent. It's impossible not to point out. It is. And it's the sort of thing that I think one of the big problems with it is that that sinks in with readers, right? That sinks in generally with people. One of the big things I think about the the 2011 coverage around the shooting of, of former Representative Giffords was that the New York Times was repeating those talking points a decade later. Right. When you when you start to have these sorts of ambient narratives that happen with the media around these events, they really do stick. Uh, it's it's not lost on people. Um, and I think because of that, one of, it makes it so much more important that when the media has these sorts of stories happen, they get it right, because so often they get it wrong. Uh, it's so frustrating. Hawaii is another great example of this, where, yeah. you know, you look at the Hawaii thing and the, the media so much wants to make this about climate change, despite what experts mm-hmm. are saying. I mean, look, I, right. I, I, I'm not in line with uh, with every left wing person on, on climate change by any means. But some mm-hmm. scientists are talking about that for certain uh, events and certain problems. They've been right. very specific on this Maui thing to say that this is not climate change. This has nothing to do with climate change. The governor saying it was a fire hurricane is just yeah, a made up term. <laughs> this is just a, I mean, it's a real yeah. problem here. And, and even though the experts are coming out and being very clear, this one's not climate change. This one's not yep. a good example of it. The media keeps that train rolling. That's right. And they even before any of the experts had been able to come out, they had very confidently declared that the issue here was climate change. Right. Before the fires were even contained, 
they there was a, a New York Times piece I remember that that came out. It was one of the first and said how climate change turned lush Hawaii into a tinderbox. And it said the explanation for this is is as straightforward as it is, or as as simple as it is straightforward changing climate, right? Like the, the narrative for them is so fixed. And you saw all this other early coverage come out and say, this is what happens with climate change. There was an Atlantic piece. We don't need more warnings about climate, but we're going to keep getting them. And then two or three days later, they didn't have to wait long, right? To, to, to get this something close to right, they really didn't have to wait long for an explanation to come out. We found out that the sirens hadn't activated. We found out that there were downed power lines that likely started this, that maybe the power wasn't actually cut off when it should have been, when we knew about these high winds and the rest of this kind of dangerous situation coming together. We have these grasses that are overgrown because no one's following the local restriction on these non-native grasses that are highly flammable. There are all of these different problems that led to this happening. And the media couldn't wait 48 hours without blaming climate change because it's an easy catch-all thing. Thing, that they are always happy to blame everything under the sun on. Yeah, and I mean, now a lot of the blame seems to be going to, obviously, the local authorities, but also even, mm -hmm. the, it seemed like the, the fire department had it under control at one point and then left. Yep. And it's like, yeah. uh, you know, how is this climate change? I mean, it's not, but this is, this is what they do. It's human error. Um, Drew, you, you do great work, of course. We are always highly appreciative of you coming on and all the work that you do on Twitter and now with the Washington Free Beacon. The, Drew's Receipts is the column you're working on, and it's always worth reading. At Drew Holden 360 is a place to go. And Drew, sincerely, man, thanks so much for coming back on. I'm so happy that you're doing better, and it's great to see you again. Thank you, Stu. Seriously, the pleasure is mine. I really appreciate you guys having me back on, and uh, it's, it's good to be back up. Well, if you want to uh, move somewhere, maybe you're moving out of some blue state, you're moving to a red state, you're making that uh, big decision, which it's a great decision. You should come, come with us here as long as you uh, don't bring the voting record of the people around you. Uh, don't bring that. Don't don't migrate that to our uh, nice red areas. But if you're making a move, no matter where you're going, you need a good real estate agent. And when you go to that new area, you probably don't know anyone there. You do know realestateagentsitrust.com, though. Glenn started this company years ago, and it's, it's just wanted to eliminate all the hassles of buying and selling homes. So whether you're buying or selling a home, you want to get the best price possible, go to realestateagentsitrust.com. You'll find the best agent in your area available right there, realestateagentsitrust.com. The name kind of says it all, realestateagentsitrust.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Don't forget to get your Anyone But Biden 2024 merch at studosmerch.com. Use the code STU10. You'll save 10%. If you have any watching on YouTube, make sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel. We do appreciate it when you do those things, and it helps us spread the show. Uh, we do very much appreciate that. Uh, I probably shouldn't be doing the Anybody But Biden stuff right here because we have to tell you about poor Dr. Jill Biden. She's got COVID uh, yet again. Second time uh, she's had COVID. And uh, look, first of all, of course, we wish her well. 
and we don't want anyone to uh, to be sick or have problems, especially if you happen to be vulnerable to COVID, uh, like older people often are. So, of course, we uh, we wish her the best. I will say, can we get past the point where news articles tell us when people have COVID? Why, why do we need to know this? If you're in the same room as Jill Biden, it's important information. It's not important information to basically everyone else in America, especially if she's doing okay. Uh, she's probably going to take the medicines. She's got a, She's had prior immunity. She's already had the virus. She's been vaccinated. Why are we hearing about this? This is constant. I don't know why we have to hear about your individual COVID cases. <clears throat> I don't get it. I, re- I really don't. Um, by the way, uh, Joe Biden's got to be hiding. Uh, maybe he's this is why he's, you know, camped out on vacation all the time. He's got to be hiding from anybody who might be sick in any way. Uh, by the way, Democratic support for Joe Biden not looking good. Consistent signs of erosion in black and Hispanic communities for Joe Biden. <clears throat> and this was something. Gosh, <clears throat> maybe I have COVID, too. No, I don't. Um, that's what he's that's you know you can get it through the tv now this new variant comes right through the tv right through youtube you've got it now too sorry about that um so democratic support has been dropping and we know this uh you can go through many groups here black uh not gone from let's say 95 percent to 88 percent uh all non-white voters from about 82 percent to about 68 percent that's a big drop hispanic voters from 70 percent to 60 percent uh white voters is slight increase from about 40 percent to say 45 percent and what's interesting about this is this was a narrative that came out of the 2016 election and was sort of reinforced in 2020 where it seemed like minority voters we're starting to say, wait a minute, maybe this thing we've tried for the past half century isn't working so well. Maybe we should try something else. And the movement isn't as dramatic as I'd want it to be. Uh, I would like it to be more dramatic than this. I mean, five, ten points here and there doesn't seem like a lot over you know, half a decade. But it is pretty significant, especially in these elections and how close they are. We're also seeing this um, not only in race and ethnicity, but also gender, where female voters uh, are dropping off, uh, and age as well. Uh, both categorize uh, b- b- both categories are dropping. This is according to the New York Times, by the way. Education, uh, you know, college degree and no college degree, dropping for the Democrats, and really all salary levels, with the exception of evil rich people, which is holding out about flat, but all of the other groups dropping Democratic support. Why is this? You know, the question is, is this really it's easy to read into these polls a lot of times and people do this too often, which is to jump to a conclusion that has a larger, big narrative to it. You know, we were told when Obama won uh, that it was a, some you know, big change in our uh, in our world where everyone was becoming more and more progressive. We're all socialists now. And in reality, what it seems like is Barack Obama came off as a pretty good candidate. It's certainly a better candidate than John McCain was. People liked it by, uh, Obama better. He was a better speaker, certainly, and was able to have a, you know, a pretty good run for eight years as president, even though he was not overwhelmingly popular. He was able to defeat the Republican candidates relatively handily, certainly in that first election and to a lesser extent in the second one. So is the question here that Democratic support is falling off because people like Republican policies more or like Democratic policies less? Or is it something more simple? And there's a possibility it is just something more simple. It might just be Joe Biden is uniquely bad. And particularly, he's just too old. Over and over again, this is what people are finding. Former President Trump 
Um, and Joe Biden, were, uh, they were polled on the perception of them. What do you think about these guys and what do you think about their certain statements uh, about them? And, and like this was not all good news for Trump in, in areas like corruption, even though I would argue Joe Biden has plenty of corruption on his side. Donald Trump is viewed as more corrupt. However, when asked if you are too old, um, this is how this result came out. This is uh, came out. This is by August 24th to August 30th, by the way. 73 percent of registered voters think the statement that Biden is too old to run for president describes him very, uh, very or somewhat well. In other words, people are saying, hey, not only is he too old to do this job well, he's too old to even run. Donald Trump, who is only three years younger, was at 47 percent. The difference there is massive, 73 to 47, a 26-point split. This is not just uh, partisan politics at work. Um, and this is, of course, what explains this headline as well. Democratic elites struggle to get voters as excited about Biden as they are. First of all, the Democratic elites are not as excited about Biden either. They just don't know where else to go. They don't really have a solution to this problem. But I will tell you, I can tell you exactly how excited the average Democratic voter is when it comes to Joe Biden. And it only can be expressed by the picture of Joe Biden that we showed earlier. Looking at him, flat on his back, passed out on a beach chair, that's how excited they are about the presidency and candidacy of Joe Biden. Jace Medical is our sponsor. And you know, we've been talking to Jace Med about Jace Medical for a while here for very specific reasons, because if you've seen, I mean, Bidenomics has played a big role in our supply chains breaking down. You know, my wife has a medicine that she needs and they're telling her it's gonna be weeks and weeks until she can get it. Like, what country is this? How did this start? Well, look, certain medications are having that problem at a higher rate than they ever have. That should probably inspire you to get a hold of it when you can. And Jace Medical has a great uh, idea when it came to the Jace case. It's a, it's a great way to protect yourself from the worst possible outcomes. It's a pack of five different courses of antibiotics that you can use to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, things like respiratory infections and sinusitis and skin infections and a whole lot more. It's a great way to be ready for shortages and it's perfect for traveling. So don't get uh, prepared, uh, caught unprepared. If you go to jacemedical.com, enter the code STEW at checkout, Promo code is Stu at jasemedical.com. They've also got uh, medications that you take every day available over a one-year time frame. So even if you know something happens, like what, what happened to my wife recently, you always have that stock just in case. Jasemedical.com. Jace case from Jace Medical. I think it is a valid argument. Uh, you know, the 14th Amendment, uh, Section 3, is pretty clear. If you engage in acts of insurrection or rebellion against the government, or you give aid and comfort to those who do, you are disqualified from running. I mean, this is amazing. I, there's Adam Schiff running his mouth about the 14th Amendment. This is the left's new strategy, is to get Donald Trump thrown off of ballots because of uh, the idea that he led an insurrection against the country. This is, by the way, and we told you this years ago now, uh, this is why the media has adopted the word insurrection so specifically. This is why they did it for this moment where they can come out and claim the 14th Amendment. We all knew it. Look, I, I, you've heard me rant about this 100 times. Like, I was really pissed off about what happened on January 6th. Like, I'm not excited about it. I was not thinking it was like just a walk in the park or a tour. It was a riot and it was horrible, but it was not an insurrection. It was not a serious attempt at an insurrection. Donald Trump did not lead the insurrection. This is why they kept calling it that, though, over and over and over again to try to get you to say, oh, well, it's reasonable for him to be thrown off the ballots. These people who come to you every day and tell you how Donald Trump 
is the problem with democracy. How the right is the big problem. They're threatening democracy. Want to take the leading candidate from their opposition off the ballots completely so you cannot vote for him. If that's not anti-democracy, I have no idea what is. Okay, so here's what happened. There was some controversy online, which is always happening. But this particular controversy was about a dog at a Metallica concert. So, okay, the dog uh, is in the seat here. You can see the picture of the dog actually chilling at the Metallica show. And kind of like just sitting there watching, people were complaining, well, why, why, how could they possibly have a dog at a Metallica? What, is this one of these situations where they have like, this is an emotional support dog and I needed emotional support at the concert? No, apparently the dog just lives nearby SoFi Stadium and snuck out and it made their way into the concert and sat in one of the seats. <laughs> how this happened? Who knows? Uh, Metallica did tweet about it in very interesting fashion. Um, saying, you might have heard we had a four-legged fan join us for a show. Despite reports to the contrary, our, our friend Storm snuck out of her home adjacent to SoFi Stadium and made her way all to the, gig, to the gig all by herself. She had a great time listening to her favorite songs like Master of Puppies and The Mailman That Never Comes. But Metallica, weren't they like, they're like thrash metal band that is like out there being like, hey, here's some dad jokes about dogs. Wait, this is, and in case you were wondering, no, you definitely shouldn't bring your furry friends to the world tour, but this dog sure did have her day. We're Metallica. Now it's time for Enter Sandman. We'll see you tomorrow.